I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, there's a famous evangelist. He was in town to hold an evangelistic crusade, and on the way to the stadium where it was being held, he wanted to stop at the post office and mail a letter, but he got hopelessly lost and finally decided to ask someone for directions. Well, he noticed a little boy on the sidewalk, and so he pulled over and said, excuse me, son, but can you tell me where the post office is? And the little boy, little boy said, sure, turn around and go back down the street to the first light, turn left, and it's a block or two on your right. Well, thank you very much, young man, the evangelist said. By the way, he added, handing the boy an announcement for the crusade. He said, I'd like to invite you to come to a meeting later today where I'll tell you how you can find Jesus as your personal Savior. The little boy said, fat chance, you can't even find the post office. <laughs> we have been uh, doing a series this summer called, uh, If Jesus is the Answer, What's the Question? And Who's Asking? Because as we come and think about faith and life and, and who Jesus is, all of us come in from different places. We're not the same people. We don't have the same experiences, the same backgrounds, even the same personalities. And so we come to approaching faith and the, the things of this world and this life from very different places. And, and one of the things we notice about how Jesus interacts with others, as people have encounters with Jesus, well, it's all over the board because he's interacting with people. And they're coming with different kinds of questions and thoughts about what life is like and how they should approach it. And, and as we come to our, our characters today, we're coming to that part of the story. Uh, much of what we remembered in, in the Lord's Supper is Jesus' crucifixion and, and those those last moments, and these are the last people that, that have interactions, encounters with Jesus before he is killed on a cross, and there's some very different things that are going on there. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Luke chapter 23, and we'll be starting in, in, in verse number 26, and getting a picture of, of people and how they've encountered Jesus. Uh, the setup of this is that the trial has happened. Pilate has sentenced Jesus a little bit reluctantly, it would seem, but um, at the insistence of the crowd, they, he has sentenced him to death. And now they are sending him on his way. Verse 26, As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Well, you get a sense in this story. Obviously, there's, this, is, this is the movements moving Jesus from this trial to the place where he's placed on the cross. And, and you see all these different people that have some kind of activity within this parade. And it starts off with some guy named Simon. Now, John gives us some, a little bit of, of uh, further details that he's got sons, Rufus and Alexander, along with them. But, and they're... But all we know is in from the country, from, actually from Cyrene, which we would know as modern-day Tripoli. Uh, nowhere close. They're in town. Who knows for why? Maybe they're there to, to take part in the Passover festivities that have been going on. But for Simon, it's like, what's going on? What have I gotten myself into here? Can you imagine the, the particular? What's going to happen to me? And uh, interesting, you know, I, you're in this position. He's like, why is he helping this out? Well, you know, if you come across a, a large contingent of, of large men with weapons and who have some kind of government authority who say, you're going to do this, there's probably only two options available, aren't there? And only one of them involves continuing to live. So Simon takes the cross and carries it. Presumably Jesus, having been beaten as he was, was a little bit weak and was stumbling and so needed some help to get the cross from where the trial was to the place where he's going to be crucified. But Simon, undoubtedly wondering, who, who is this guy? What is, what is this all about? And why am I involved here? Maybe even asking God, God, what did I do to do, deserve this? But involved in it, he is. And then Jesus encounters these women. 
And, and they're weeping and wailing for him, uh, crying because you, you can see the beating that he's, he's taken and, and, and how exhausted he is in, in, on this trail, and, and they know where it's going. I mean, the, everyone knew what a cross was for, an excruciating way of, of killing someone, and this one is going to face suffering. And they're wailing for him. But then Jesus turns this around and says, don't, don't cry for me. Weep for yourselves. Because there's going to come a time. And in some graphic detail, he's going to talk about a time that's coming where, well, for you women out there, you're going to long to not have had children, to not have children that you are nursing because such are the, are the times that are coming it is going to be so hard and difficult. You're going to wish you didn't have these things because of the, the struggles that you're going to face. And, and then he, he, he gives this cryptic little sentence there. It's like, you know, if, for if these things happen while the, the, the wood is green, uh, how much worse will it be if the, the wood is dry? Okay, where does that come from? Now, many of you, you cut lots of wood over the, the course of the summer and the fall preparing for winter. You know the difference between green wood and, and dry wood. Drying and letting it cure makes for better, better heating in the winter. Uh, the greener it is, the more moist it is. But what is he talking about here? And, and, and I think there's a sense as, as, as Jesus is going through this, uh, being someone who is not a rebel, not someone who is trying to destroy the nation and the, the rule of Rome on, on them, at least in any literal way at that moment. He's not a rebel. And yet if they're doing these kinds of things to someone like him now, what is it going to be like when some real rebellion begins? Foreshadowing some of the things that are going to happen within the city of Jerusalem. Because in the years to follow after this, there will be more and more dissension against the rule of Rome. And, and, and many will be saying, God has told us to, to throw them off. And they're going to face such hardship and difficulty there. It's unimaginable. And, and so he's turning it around. Don't weep for me. But think about what's, what's going to be for you. Weep for yourselves and what's going to happen in the times to come. Well, the march goes on, and we hear about two criminals that are added to this. They're going to be put on his left and right. And, but there's a crowd, and the crowd is watching him go by, and you can almost call them a mob because such is their, their excitement about what's happening. Oh, we're going to have ourselves a hanging. We're going to have a killing. This is going to be great. And there he is, and... Uh, and they, they mocked him and they hurled insults. And they're like, oh yeah, Mr. Big Shot Messiah, let's see you save yourself. Now you saved others. Let's see you do it. And spitting on him as he walked away. Soldiers that were part of this too, they got into the act and they mocked him as well. Oh, Mr. King of the Jews, save yourself. And even one of the criminals of the, the three are up there, two criminals and Jesus and one of them turns to him and says similar things like, oh yeah, you're supposed to be the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. Oh, save yourselves. And, 
And while you're at it, save us. Get us out of this mix too, if you have anything to do. Mockery. And all these people, they're coming to Jesus, and on some level, they think they have the answers they need. And they watch as he walks by and look down on him and what he's been up to. Certainly the women are are concerned and and don't want this to happen, but it's, it's happening. And then... And then we have the second criminal who, who turns to the other, speaking across Jesus, and say, do you have no fear of God? You and I are up here because we've done what we've, we've deserved this. We deserve this kind of punishment. This man is innocent. And he turns to Jesus and says, the most extraordinary thing. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. What? I mean, take a look at this scene. Here are three guys on crosses, again, excruciating pain, only one destiny for all three of them. They're going to die within the next several hours. And he's looking at Jesus saying, When you come into your kingdom, what kind of kingdom is he thinking about? This guy is destined to die. He's not going to be head of some kingdom. Or does he he know something else? How does he know anything about Jesus? Presumably he's been in jail and and for the crimes that he's committed. but, But he looks at Jesus and he says, When you come into your kingdom, remember me. There is no good evidence to say that this guy on the cross looks like he's fading faster than the other two even. He's going to be king of anything. But somehow, he looks at him with faith. And understanding his own situation, his own sins, his own actions that have put him in this place, He simply turns and says, remember me. To which Jesus turns to him and replies, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Remember that thing that kept coming up, that that, that the crowd says and that the, the soldiers say and even the other criminals says to him? You saved others. Save yourself. And save us. Guess what? It's exactly what he was doing in those moments. In that moment, as he's going through this, he is continuing to do the work that he was destined to do. That his activity in coming to this place was to fulfill something. Again, these things we talked about that we remember in the communion table, that that Jesus sacrificed himself knowing This is going to be a fulfillment of what God had intended all along, of bringing mankind back to God himself. By by taking sin on himself, by by taking the penalty, by, by standing and saying, they are all guilty, I take the punishment myself for them so that you can exonerate them. 
That's what he was doing. And the rest of the story that we know, and those who had been reading this, these words from Luke, that when he breathes his last, that's not the last we hear of him. That there's something else that's coming. And this idea of a kingdom that he's going into, there's something to this. And Luke brings all these things together so that we have witnesses of what happened during these times. That we can see that there's people that are crying for this and Jesus interacts with them. We can see that there's criminals that are mocking him, but also that are coming and confessing him. And then we have a centurion. Undoubtedly, a, a, a man with much experience in, in military battles. And, and as he presides over this and sees all that happens, the, the darkening of the sky and Jesus breathing out his last, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and breathes his last. And he, he praises God saying, surely this man was innocent or righteous, not deserving this at all. And we have witnesses that say, he didn't deserve this. And then, with as many as the crowd is there, something happens to them. Uh, The all the excitement and fury of the mob mentality as, as they see the events unfold over how many hours they're there. At the end of it, there's not this exultant, yes, we did it! And, but instead, there is this beating of the breast. A symbol of of sadness, a symbol of contrition, a symbol of this is not right. What did did we just see? What just happened here? This is not what we were coming for. This was supposed to be getting rid of this rebellious guy. But something else happened here. And they walked away. And one more insight that he gives us. Followers of Jesus at a distance, watching all these things take place. Maybe concerned about being part of that crowd and right near. Maybe not wanting to be that close and see the anguish he is enduring. But nevertheless, seeing all these things take place. So that we have witnesses. And that as we hear about all these stories, we can come to some conclusions ourselves. But there can conclusions we're going to have to come to based on, well, based on faith and based on these people's testimony. You see, as we, as we come to God and as we approach faith and life with questions, Many times the the questions we are looking for or wanting or think we want the answers to are, well, they're maybe not as the right ones. (laughs) And Jesus' answers 
different questions than we're asking. Not the questions we want to know, but the questions we need to hear about. But some of it, our attitude makes a difference in how we get there. Because we can have an attitude that says, I, I, really, I really don't want to believe anything to do with this. I, I, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, that, that's much of the leadership as they sneered at him. It's the much of what many people, as they approach faith, say, oh, I can't do it. I've got too many intellectual objections. And yet, many with those intellectual objections oftentimes have something more underlying that. Lynn Anderson, who uh, leads a ministry called the Hope Network, uh, talks about some people that he's interacted with uh, through the course of his life. He, he talks about when he was a youngster growing up in Canada. Uh, their town, a small town that he lived in, it was visited by a famous, a brilliant novelist who was an atheist from an atheist communist family. And he said he, they came, he came to our, our little town in Canada to gather local color for a book he was writing. And one day he was visiting with our family and he got real serious. He said, can I ask you some questions about your religion? Oh, and even though I'd been wrestling with some doubts from time to time, I, I said, yeah. So he asked, do you, do you really believe there's a God who knows my name? And I said, yeah, that's what I believe. He said, do you believe the Bible's true, that babies are born from virgins, that dead people come out of the cemetery? I, I said, yes, that's what I believe. And then he said with great emotion, I'd give anything to believe that because I've traveled all over the world and I've seen that most people are miserable. The only people who seem to be getting out of life what they want are the people who say they believe what you believe. But I just can't believe because my head keeps getting in the way. And uh, Anderson's response, I, I, I was blown away. I, I didn't know what to say next because his head was a whole lot smarter than mine. But then he said, in retrospect, I, I don't think his head was the real problem. I started to think about what he would lose if he followed Jesus. He was part of a guild of brilliant writers who all think religion is a total crock. I believe his professional pride and the rejection of his peers would have been too high of a price for him to pay. So what was at stake for him? He tells another story, and I'll finish with this. Once I was talking with an ex-Marine who said, I'm miserable. I got a wife and kids, and I'm making more money than I can spend with both hands, and I'm sleeping with every woman in town, and I hate myself. You've got to help me, but don't give me any of that God talk, because I can't believe that stuff. Oh, we talked for hours. And finally, I said, maybe you think you're shooting straight with me, but I'm not sure you are. I don't think your problem is that you can't believe. I think it's that you won't believe because you're afraid to give up the things that, that help you get through the night. And he thought about that for a while and said, yeah, I guess that's true. I can't Im imagine sleeping with just one woman. I can't imagine going with less money than I make, which I'd have to do because I lie to get it. He was finally trying to be honest and and here's my point. That, that man would argue and argue for hours about his cerebral doubts. 
he would convince people that he couldn't believe because he had too many intellectual objections. But they just were a smokescreen, merely a fog he used to obscure his real hesitations about God. And I think that comes to the core for some of us as we come to Jesus with our questions. As we come and ask, what is this life about and what is faith about and what does it mean to to repent and believe and follow God and to believe in Jesus, that we have other things we're hanging on to. Uh, The choice to believe is, is that, as is the choice to not believe. And the question is, why? And... And part of what Jesus gets at in, in his interactions and in his encounters we see today, we, we see the criminal for some reason turning to him and say, you, dying guy, when you get to your kingdom, remember me. And the centurion seeing the way he approached life and death, saying, this guy was innocent. See, there's, there's more to, to Jesus and to life and faith than, than we, we, we put in a package or box. And the, the questions you're asking or you're dealing with or not wanting to deal with, God is saying, ask your questions. Come to me with honesty, but, but don't come with pretense that, oh yeah, these are my issues. But come honestly, seeking truth. If you don't believe with God, that's fine. But just be honest about that. And, but consider it, if God, you were to exist, show up somewhere. Reveal yourself to me. And look truthfully. Because in the pursuit of truth, we'll find God. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we can lean on that as we walk with faith. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, we come to you this this morning and are asking that you would well, that you would reveal yourself to us. For those of us who believe and yet have doubts, we ask that you help us with our unbelief. And, and for those who are struggling with you in any way, shape, or form, we, Spirit of God, move in their lives and, and help them to see. But, but reveal as well our attitudes and our, our biases as well. The things that we're coming with that we say we can't believe in because we don't want to but to pursue truth. We come before you asking for your help with our questions, looking for your answers. Guide us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.